When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 200. 200. 200. Uh, we were... We have a little thing planned for later in the week. Uh, not This is going to be just almost like a normal episode, but we wanted to bring it up. Obviously, this is the big old episode 200, and we're going to be doing a, a little bit of a tidbit for those of you that uh, care to listen to that. We're going to be doing that probably later this week, maybe early next week, depending on when it gets edited up. But it's going to be talking about all about the show and how we got here and what our expectations are and just sort of almost... I want to. I almost said fan fiction. I don't know why. Like it's fan fiction on the HTML Things podcast that we wrote. We're, like, we're going to be part of Harry Potter or something like Harry Potter fan fiction with Mike and Matt. Let's do but, it. But like, aren't are we fans of ourselves? Like, can no. we can we write fan fiction about HTML Things? No, someone else would have to. So, um, call out <laughs> for anyone that wants to write fan fiction about us. <laughs> And then we'll read it on a tidbit, maybe, at some point, if it's appropriate. Anyway. Oh, if someone writes fan fiction, if someone writes a good fan fiction, I'm calling, I'm saying it right now, I will record a separate episode, or we will both record a separate episode as ourselves in that fan fiction and actually play it out like an actual play. So, <laughs> do it. Someone do it. Challenge. Uh, <laughs> the episode 200 challenge. But, um... Yeah, so look out for that tidbit if you care. If not, this is just going to be a regular episode, more or less. So let's kick it off. And if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share us with your friends. And this episode is uh, titled, I may have already said it, but it's What Does No Code Mean for Web Developers? So right now I'm writing a spread, I'm calling them, on our websites where, on, on our website, excuse me, where I'm writing a collection of articles on given topics. And I just started, so I'm on the first topic and I'm doing a bunch of stuff on Webflow. We have a couple of projects in Webflow that are active right now and I'm have it fresh in my mind. And so I basically am using that knowledge and writing up some, just some guides, you know, how do you make images clickable? How do you do this? How do you do that? Etc. I, I have three-ish done because one's currently a draft. I don't know when you're listening to this and I'll probably have more and then I'll move on to something else, whatever it is. I don't know, Svelte or WordPress, like whatever it is. I'll just move on to something else and try to hit some core areas to sort of Refamiliarize myself with uh, the web dev industry at large, I suppose. And the reason why I had I want to talk about this episode is because I'm noticing a trend on Twitter now. It's small sample size, you know. I didn't go out there and poll a bunch of people or anything, but I'm noticing that there's a lot of developers, at least from what I'm seeing, that are using no code, and they're developers. Don't want to be clear. Like they're 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 the people that will code up stuff, and they could code up a site right from scratch, but they're not doing that. They're using no code to get themselves so far. And then they're using code other and in, in other, like in other areas, like to extend it or whatever. And we'll get into that in the episode. And so I kind of think that this is almost like a state of the industry podcast ish. 
So, I mean, let's just dive in. And I wrote up a whole bunch of stuff and talking about how no code's expanding this and that. And, you know, whether whether you like it or not, if you're a coder, because a lot of coders do not like no code for whatever reason, whether you're whether you like it or not, you know, no code does affect coders. It affects the entire industry as a whole, especially at the scale it is now. And while there is still some split opinions on whether you should be coding or not, hence that disparity there, the, the lines appear to be getting blurrier as more no code tools emerge and they start to really empower virtually anyone to build increasingly complex apps. That's really key. Increasingly complex apps. We're no longer just making business card sites. We're making membership sites with no code. So there's also a culture of coders that are using no code, like I said, but specifically for productivity. Like I mentioned before, they're no longer, you know, let's say reinventing the wheel where they're coding a site up from scratch every single time or even just using some of their own snippets. They're using no code to get them all the way, say, from, say, to the small business and blog uh, part of their project. And then they're using no code to or then they're using code to extend that no code. Or maybe they're using even a separate, quote unquote, website at a different subdomain for the e-commerce, which can also be done in no code easily. Or they're doing that for something very specific, like they have a registration system or they don't want to use a no code membership platform. They want to have a very uh, custom membership site area. And they make that and they code that up. So. You know, with this sort of, you know, push and pull with no code versus coding, web developers versus no coders, I guess, where do we find ourselves in 2022? So what is the state of the industry, I suppose, at this point? And I would say the state of the industry is that no code is expanding. Now, I want to be clear here that the primary no code tool that I use is Webflow and I want to use its recent upgrades or recently, uh, I guess not recently announced. I think it was announced in 2021, but you know, there's been more news about this or I've been hearing more about these two big upgrades coming to Webflow. So Webflow in its current state, if you don't know, really brief is basically a website creation platform. It allows designers to really make a lot of, you know, nitty gritty changes because more or less, and there are some exceptions, you are basically building a site out in HTML and CSS just by clicking buttons. So instead of you writing display flex, for example, in a, in a CSS file, you're literally clicking like a display flex button and so on and so forth, padding and margin and all that type of stuff, right? All that stuff. Now, this, this gets you only so far, so Webflow can build out the site. They also have a CMS to allow you to have blogs and that type of thing as well, and they allow you to have a little bit of visual editing where, where users can uh, hover over, say, like static pages, like not blog pages, and they can hover over some text and edit the text or edit some images and those type of things. And so that's the Webflow CMS for what they call collaborators, people that own, that do not use the designer, which is the more codey, no-code part, I guess, the more advanced interface, Okay. So this is sort of what I'm trying to get at is it's sort of just like a what seem what seems to be like sort of a more a, a, a more customizable I suppose way to make websites with no code at least is what I would say but they're adding two things they're adding memberships and they're adding logic literally named Webflow memberships and Webflow logic so Webflow memberships and power creators to make what make membership websites with functionality like user management and curated content and payment processing for those memberships and the list goes on. And there's also Webflow logic, which gives creators the power to extend their Webflow site functionality with triggers and conditions. So for example, you can perform different actions depending on how a user fills out a form. Maybe if they fill out a form one way, like they say, my household income is this much, maybe marketing needs the email. Or if they say my household income is this much, maybe sales needs the needs that. So 
you really, you know, this sounds really simple, but you could not previously do this on forms in Webflow. Right now, you can send to a collection of web addresses. We can only send to a collection of web addresses and each, like every form on the site, at least last time I checked, every form on the site has to send to that same single or collection of web addresses. It's not like this form can send to marketing and this form can send here and this form can send here. So what this is really doing and Webflow Logic will go further than this, but like Webflow Logic really is like adding sort of almost programmatic logic to Webflow. Now I want to mention one thing too, because I just kind of kind of just skipped it in my overview is that is Webflow also added e-commerce I want to say a year ago, it's probably been much longer, uh, losing track of time. But Webflow also has e-commerce, so you can open up an online store. So if we kind of take a look at what Webflow can do with us very brief, is that it can make me a landing page site. It can make me a small business site. It can make me an e-commerce site. It can make me a blog. I can, And then assuming memberships are there, I can then use Webflow memberships, if I want to have members, like have people like pay for premium blog tiers or whatever it is. And then I can use Webflow logic and that will help, I would assume, with things like uh, complex um, like CRMs and that type of thing, as well as other things as well. But the way I see it right now, without having not tested Webflow logic myself, is that I see this as being very useful for, for companies that, let's say, started really small and they're growing up and they're not quite outgrown Webflow. They're not quite like at their top tier or whatever. And so they're at that point where they do have a couple of different teams, a couple of different experts, you know, a sales and marketing of this and of that. And so this allows the site to have some logic as to what appears, who gets emails, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, again, I haven't tested Webflow logic myself or memberships, but just having read the the synopsis, if you will, from the site. Now, the thing is, is that the reason why I say no code is expanding overall, not just Webflow, obviously, but there's companies that are built around no code as well. So member stack gives the abilities to make Webflow currently without Webflow memberships, which is in beta, I believe right now, it gives creators the ability to make Webflow into a, a membership site and they're expanding into other areas slash languages slash frameworks and tools like React and WordPress and many others. There's a list of it on their site. So they're, they were built around the fact that, hey, you know, there's all these no coders, these designers is what it's often marketed towards on Webflow that can't make a membership site. And we know that a lot of people want a membership site. So let's make this tool that allows them to, with no code, I think they have to maybe copy and paste in some JavaScript, but it's not like they're coding it up themselves. And there you go. They're able to actually have a membership site using Webflow. Now, this is obviously, I'm just talking about Webflow because I, I have no so much about it right now because I'm using it so much. But this is at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to no-code tools because the general idea here is that as time goes on, no-code tools get more powerful and they bring that power to almost anyone that knows just the computer basics. We we already can see that there's app builders. Like there's been app builders out for years. You can make a mobile app with an app builder with very minimal, if any code at all, and bring that out. So I have like almost a list. Or I do have a list of questions based upon my comments on how no code is expanding. And the list of questions are, you know, what does this extra power do to the industry at large? Like, what does it mean? What, what What's the result here for the industry? And these are the questions but I kind of, there's sub questions of that main question. What is this extra power that these no code tools are bringing to just people that know computer basics? What? Yeah. Before, before you dive into the questions, I, I just wanted to kind of uh, expand a little bit on your no code is expanding as well, because I've got kind of like an internal view of the industry uh, 
as it stands right now. Just full transparency. Um, I'm actually, I've actually signed a contract to help a no code tool or a visual page builder tool, more specifically called Plasmic, uh, manage their social media account. It's not, it's nothing like it's not a full time role or anything like that, but I'm helping them out. Um, and I've gotten a lot of, you know, inter- internal perspective on where the no code industry is going with that. And one of those things is that it looks like a lot of it's becoming kind of a hybrid where you're able to, certain parts of your tech stack are able to now be replaced with no code, right? Or enhanced by no code or whatever. And really what I see with no code is whatever makes the job a little bit easier. So, um, or like less, you know, hands-on essentially, in my opinion, and this could be kind of a hot take, honestly, stuff like Vercel, stuff like Netlify is a little bit of no code because it's replacing the need to be able to manage servers or writing code on servers or writing scripts on servers with something that can do be done through a GUI, right? A lot of these platforms, a lot of where web development is really going, the ease of use of deploying a website, the ease of use of creating content types in headless CMSs like Strapi and Sanity and all that, like all those platforms, all those tools are no code tools. A lot of the times I think we associate no code with visual page building tools like Wix and Squarespace and Webflow have a lot of visual page building in them. But like Matt was mentioning before, Webflow has a lot of other features that are no code. The CMS side of things is no code. E-commerce is no code in there. They have interactions where it helps you code up animations with no code, right? All of that stuff is just a separate tool on top of a visual page builder or on top of an entire no code platform. And what I'm seeing happen more often is these tools are becoming modular, right? They're becoming so that like you can apply, you can have code, but you can also apply no code platforms. So like, for instance, with Plasmic, and I see other companies going this way too, they want to make it so that the visual page builder is able to integrate custom React components into it, right? So you're able to like code up a fully custom React component, fetch data from wherever you want, however you want. I think that's the key there too, the how, because a lot of these no code platforms that are fetching data for you will do it one way. Like, and whether it's efficient or not efficient, that could be argued and all that. But sometimes you just want to have more control over where your data is coming from, how you're parsing it, how you're securing it. And if that's the case, then you want kind of different tools for different occasions. And that's where these platforms that can be a little bit more modular have a really big effect where you can kind of take, you know, a React component that you've created, that you fetch, that you've gotten all the, all the information in. And then give it to your designer as like a, a visual page building tool, like a component that they can put on any page. Like if you create a little Twitter embedded widget or something like that, or you created a little uh, widget for uh, fetching like the, your top sellers from your e-commerce store, right? All those things can be done as a componentized basis and trans and transported to a no code platform, like a visual page builder. So it's these like communications between code and no code tools that are becoming more popular, I think, in a 20, in, like if we're talking 2022, whereas before, you know, no code was just doing everything for you and it was making all the assumptions. Now we have the opportunity to have kind of developers working with no code and allowing the entire kind of stack to be modularized. And if you want, you know, if you have really kick-ass developers that do really good security and really good image optimization in code, but you really want them to not have to worry about data management 
uh, and database setup, then you use like a headless CMS, which is a no code tool, like st- stuff like Strapi and Sanity. They're no code platforms because you launch it. It creates the database for you. It creates all the connections and in visually inside of that platform, you can create the, the content types. You can create how the relations are formed all through like helpful platforms, not through code. So it's this interesting melding of code and no code where I find the most interest right now in the industry and where I think like one of the main reasons I think that it's not a problem for developers because really no code is solving stuff that we just don't have time to solve ourselves and allowing us to focus on more, you know, refined projects and allowing people to specialize like I said before, if your specialty is really like you're really good at fetching data and you're really good at displaying that data effectively on a website, you can do that in code, but you can still have all these other platforms around you that help you focus on that one thing and not um, not have to learn a million different you know coding things or hire a million different people to do one little thing here and there. You know, I wonder how much of this also like you kind of mentioned the like the shared nature now where it's like, you know, you can bring a no code in and then maybe that's 50% of the project. And then another 50% could be custom. I wonder how much of this is about money just to be blunt, because some of it obviously is going to be, you know, Hey, so you can outgrow some of these no code tools, you know, at last check, you could out, you could overrun Webflows at least in their pricing tiers. You could outrun their, you know, monthly site visits, that's in there. Now, I don't know what happens then, whether you can negotiate or whether you have to go to something bigger, maybe you have to go to something bigger, but um, I wonder if this is like this sort of, I don't know, they're working with like no code is working with code is to allow the industry to sort of like, Hey, if you need something custom, I'm able to plug it into the tool you already have. So from the consumer perspective, I'm getting something custom. I'm keeping the majority of the tools that I'm familiar with. And I'm getting it cheaper because the person that's making the custom component is not making the entire site over again, plus the custom component. I wonder, and then obviously longevity, like I don't know how many people are going to be outgrowing, probably not many, outgrowing these, you know, the the, the highest tier of monthly visits and stuff like that, uh, that you're seeing in, in Webflow and other places, or at least at last check. But I wonder if it's almost like a longevity play where they're thinking, hey, you know, people can outgrow us. Let's make it so that they can, like they could outgrow us, but they don't need to, if that makes sense. It's like, hey, you know, you can keep your website on Webflow and then plug this in and then it'll just work. If, you know, if you'd like, you don't need to make a whole new website and web app together, pay all that money and then have to learn a whole new system. You know, that's going to look a lot more appealing to uh, consumers, I would think. And it's, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess it's better, better for the consumer, but worse for the professional, I suppose, where the, the professional is going to be charging less because they're doing less. But at the same time, they could probably do more if they like do more project quickly. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's give and take, but uh, interesting, interesting kind of uh, thought I had. But um, I have these four questions that I kind of, you know, what does this extra power that no code is bringing to the masses mean? And so the first, like the sub question of this is going to be, you know, does it mean that coders are no longer needed for anything that no code touches? My answer for this is, and again, these are all my opinion, but no code products are built to be generalist. They need to appeal to the masses and therefore the features are built to be used by the many while niche features are harder to find. 
so that, you know, maybe Webflow isn't doing this little tiny niche feature, even though it would be super useful because not many people would use it. So in general, I believe that there is always a market for anything custom. Generalist products are usually a basically like a one size fits all scenario. And therefore, it is typically a custom market. Therefore, generally, the, the custom market, excuse me, is, is smaller, but it's more premium feeling. It If you're using all the very, very, like, most basic, most uh, highly rated, let's say, WordPress themes is a good one. Maybe they're no code, maybe it's a little code, whatever, low code, whatever. But if you're using these themes and you use them for all your sites, all your sites are going to kind of feel a little the same. And that's because themes are, are generalist. They're built for, you know, maybe a niche, but they are built for generalist in terms of features. There's a slider in there. There's probably a light box in there. There's blog post in there. There's a homepage design in there. And the list goes on, right? So, but when you want something super custom where you're like, no, I want a landing page and they click enter and they do this and they do that. And you want all this thing. That's where the custom market comes in. And so I don't think that you no know, coders are necessarily going to get pushed out. I'm sure some might, but I don't think it's going to be anything like that, especially with no code now working together with code, it seems to be. Um, and also, you know, just as a sort of footnote to this is that your product, your website, whatever it is, has to adhere to what the no code product provides. And we said this in a recent podcast as well. It has to adhere to what that part that that no code platform basically provides. Or a developer will need to be contacted, basically. And so I think that there's still going to be, there's still room for both, of course. You know, the market may change. You know, it may become that freelancers aren't building single page sites for anyone anymore. That might be a thing and it's probably already happening. But it doesn't mean that there's no coders kicking around, right? There's always like a custom market. There's always something cutting edge. And things that are cutting edge aren't going to really be in the no code space usually yet. That leads to my next question here, my next sub question, which is, is there a limit to no code's potential? And no code, you know, I would say is limited by the most popular demands of the public. Very similar to the first question. It, it's, it's generalist. It has to appeal to the masses because you have to sell these features. Now, however, the industry is constantly evolving and new tech is all the time, like merge, excuse me, emerging all the time. So it's natural to assume that no code will continue adding new functionalities as technologies become more familiar but the amount of tech is ever expanding. So it's like the whole market is expanding and changing and like moving and no code's doing the same. So no code's getting big. But if you had some like really, really like small edge case, like let's say this is totally made up. Let's just say like CSS added like a slider mechanic and you could just do a little bit of HTML, plug it into some CSS and it's just vanilla CSS and it's just bang, responsive slider. There you go. All the, all the, you know, all the fixings, that's it, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's like no-code tools are still going to have their, their, like, version of sliders. They're not going to be integrating this CSS slider for a while. But anyone that wants to try it has to go to, a, like, a, a developer, a coder, a development agency, whatever. And then, you know, by the time... All, like Webflow or whatever integrates the vanilla CSS slider because it's, let's just say it's loved by all. So let's just say they, they integrate that. So like now they add a little bit of controls around to see if you to control it in a no code way, but it's still the CSS slider for performance for whatever reason. By the time they integrate that feature, there's like 10 other features that have come out on the cutting edge of things that people that are on the cutting edge that want the state of the art are already doing. 
And so, you know, no code is going to be behind the cutting edge. At least I think so. They're always going to be behind the cutting edge because they're not going to integrate the absolute most cutting edge thing. It's like CSS Grid was kicking around before Webflow added CSS Grid. Webflow added e-commerce, you know, not that long ago. And e-commerce has been around for a long, long time. And it, it was around when Webflow came out, like when it, when it was first launched. And it's not like they had it right away. So there's just like this this constant, like ever expanding and changing market. And then they're kind of chasing it, but they're not going to be the whole market. I don't think that they define the market. No code isn't defined by the market. Um, or, or no code doesn't define the market, I should say. Yeah, I think you're right. I think what what really hit the nail on the head there was that uh, it's very generalist. Like no code has to be generalist because it has to generate income, right? All these no code platforms are usually not free uh, or at least not free for a very long time. Like you have trials or you have minimum, you know, the, the stuff that gets you into it, uh, but not enough to actually build on. A lot of platforms that are code like frameworks like React and Vue and Svelte, those are free frameworks that are meant to be kind of built collaboratively together in an open source environment. Those can be as custom as you want. Those don't rely on having to generate income and therefore are not generalist in a lot of different ways, right? So that's where like you're 100% right, Matt. There's just no way for no code to just be able to do everything because if only, you know, 300 people need this specific little thing and it's just not worth building. It's not worth building into your system to, to provide that. Whereas they can go into React and do it in like, you know, 10 minutes. That's always going to be there. And, and again, this kind of goes back to my point where the combination, the meld of the tools and Matt, you'll get into a little bit like, should you use them or not? Uh, but the meld of the tools is where this is going to kind of really take off, in my opinion, because... As a developer, we want to just be able to do developer things. The less we have to worry about setup, the less we have to worry about stuff that we just don't need to focus on. That's not the focus of our application. The better it's going to be for us as, as developers and the customers and the, and the companies and everyone else. Like just getting it just, just honesty time. A lot of the time when you're in an, in, in a company, most of your time is spent either planning something in meetings or setting up infrastructure. All of that stuff is waste of time. Whereas there's t- always in any company you go to, there's never not going to be a backlog of features that they want to build. So you look at all these amazing applications out there. They want to be even better, but they can't because they have developers that need to be supported with setup. They have developers that need to be supported with constant database modifications. They have developers that need to support it with everything. If no code tools can come in and help accelerate that and help developers actually work on the backlog of features, that's going to be better for consumers, developers, companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think it is like it, no code tools aren't going anywhere. And it's an important aspect to think about when you're choosing a platform and a tech stack that if something can be done easier and fits your niche or fits your needs in a no code tool, you shouldn't look away from it just because it took our jobs or whatever. Like it's not going to take your job if it makes it easier. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it very much is, and, and we'll get into this, but it very much is like another tool to use. And if there's like, there's going to be jobs, like at the end of the day, it's like, there's going to be jobs to make websites and you could just become a no coder. You know, if you kind of get pushed out of the way, 
Um, like we're technically a development house that I've been using Webflow consistently for a while now. I've been using a no code tool for a while now. I understand that some people are like really, really, really dug in on like, no, that's bad for whatever reason that their justification is. But to me, it's like, and I'll get into this later as again, it's like, I'm just like, at the end of the day, I'm there for the project. I'm there for the money. Let's just be, let's just be clear. I'm here for the money. You know, I want to make a good product for somebody, but I have to be paid to do it. I'm not just going to build a $20,000 site for no reason for free. Um, and so like it, whether the client is literally asking for a no code tool or whether I decide to do it for them because my schedule's jammed and it's quicker or something, then I don't personally mind using no code, a no code tool. It's just another tool to make a website with. Um, and that leads to the next, the next question here, which is are no code tools so big that they can't be ignored by developers anymore. And I think this is true. We've mentioned several times now that it's may or less just like a tool in a web developer's uh, tool belt type of thing. And, you know, no code has really infiltrated a lot of places, even WordPress, for example, with editors like Elementor and one click installers and uh, manage WordPress hosting. You know, you kind of sign up for a tier and wait a little bit, whatever the, the process is of that host and bam, WordPress gets installed. You can install themes. You can install Elementor and control all that stuff and that's it. And then if you have a problem, you just call the host up and they come in and they help you fix it or whatever the case may be. And, you know, it's not, there's not really any coding. It's low code at most. And in, in a lot of those cases, and that's like, it, it, no code has infiltrated a lot of places. And so it, because of that infiltration, users like customers, potential customers have started asking for stuff. We have a, a, a site that we, we were, asked specifically to do in Webflow due to the client's previous project because he did not want to learn the CMS and learn the systems over again. And fair enough. And like, I'm sure if you, uh, the listener out there, have done any freelancing, people have asked you verbatim just straight up for WordPress. They don't care what the latest tech is. They know they know WordPress. Their team knows WordPress. There's no time to mess around. They need their site refreshed and they want WordPress. And that's it. And so... No code tools are starting, I would say, are, are starting to, in our experience, we had one experience, but I'm sure it's happened many times to other people. And, I, and I'm convinced that it's going to continue to infiltrate the market in, in, in that way. I think what you, the fact that you brought up WordPress is really important here because that's kind of a perfect example of this kind of um, – it's a no-code platform. It can do so many things with no code, like all the way from you know collecting user information, logging in, membership stuff uh, – Anything you can think of pretty much WordPress can do with no code as a platform. The other thing that it gives you is this hybrid stuff that I've been talking about where you can go in and write your own plugin or write your, or fix a plugin or write a, a different way to fetch data or you know what I mean? Like there's just, you have the opportunity at your fingertips to be able to in WordPress's way, in PHP way, uh, manipulate the program enough to be the way exactly the way you need it on top of all of the different no-code platforms and functionality. If you look at good WordPress sites, and we had an episode recently with Nat Miltek. He's very a very good WordPress developer that I've talked to uh, just on how he creates his websites to have, first of all, like a 100 page speed ranking, like amazing, amazing SEO. It's because he combines this idea of lightweight, as lightweight as possible. Don't use tools that you don't need. With the idea of, hey, we can, you know, create a plugin ourselves or we can do a little bit of code here to extend the functionality of WordPress enough that we can have a higher performance. 
So again, it's this hybrid system, even with this older platform like WordPress that is dominating. Now, a lot of WordPress out there is bad and it's bad mostly actually because it's not developers that are creating these experiences. It's actually just people working with a no-code tool and they only know how to set up WordPress from a WordPress perspective. But as, as companies are starting to realize it's important to have a little bit more performance, it's important to have a little bit more responsivity, it's important to have a little bit more functionality, they turn to developers to come in and fix their WordPress sites and that's generating more opportunities for us, right? Because WordPress is so much more open. With tools like Webflow, unfortunately, you can have custom functionality. Matt's done it many times. He's talked about it. But they're a little bit more closed off in the sense that you can't, like, you know, create a a custom file and import that custom file that manipulates the exact DOM. Although maybe maybe you can now. I don't I don't know about that, Matt. I'll, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious to dive deeper into like custom Webflow components. But I don't know if they have like a, a plugin marketplace, a third party plugin marketplace. I know they have first party stuff. They have it's, they have mostly first party, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there is there are like Webflow. I don't know if they're Webflow written. They might be in the university. I'm not sure slash the documentation. Um, or maybe even on the blog, uh, the Webflow blog, but there are sort of quote unquote, like official ways to integrate certain things, but mm-hmm. it isn't like a WordPress where you can shop in a plugin store, mm-hmm. um, which is a little unfortunate and kind of missed opportunity. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess they're trying to, I mean, I've, I've called Webflow the word, the, the Apple of no code. I've called that, I called them that a couple of times, um, because they're they're kind of a walled garden where they let people in sometimes, but then it's it's not as open. It's just like the door isn't open. It's like you can get in to this walled garden, let's say, but you gotta like ask or figure your way in. It's not just yeah. like open like WordPress is where I could just make a WordPress plugin and then that's it. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. Like, it's not only like the, the fact that they're limiting third party plugins, they're limiting the potential of people creating their own plugins for like their agency, right? If, if they had third party plugin support, then they would have support for creating your own plugin, obviously, and they would have documentation around it, which will allow you to extend the functionality of Webflow as far as you want it to. Now, that's what I think Webflow is missing greatly. I think there is a reason for that. A lot of it is because like you said, it's kind of a closed garden. They handle the hosting completely. Like you can't host your site if you want to use their editor and CMS. Uh, you can download your files and host it separately as a static site, but you can't host your site. Uh, so I think there's a lot of limitations because of that. But if they were able to figure out third-party plugins, then again, it would extend, it would have that hybrid approach of being, a, being extendable by a developer and being able to be fully edited by someone that's just a no-code platform ex- expert, let's say, or a no-code platform editor, and have that combination of a tandem working together where the developer can fo- focus on developer things and the, and the no-code expert can focus on no-code things, and you have a, a good kind of cohesive approach to it. That's, again, I keep reiterating this, I think that's where the industry is going. So whether Webflow kind of knows that or not, who knows? Um, but I think a more compartmentalized approach, a more approach where you have the ability to go in there and change the infrastructure is the way it, it is the, the, the better no code way. And the fact that WordPress, again, could bring you back to it, the fact that WordPress has been around for so long and uh, has been so relevant is, I think, a testament to that approach. It's not just 
it's not just because they're easy to use because there are platforms that are easier to use than WordPress. It's more because they have an, a more open system that's more extensible that they have taken over that market. So I'm, I'm curious to see where if my hypothesis will be right, I'll I guess we'll revisit it in 2023. WordPress WordPress is absolutely usable by let's say different types of developers, people that are you know code purists that need to quickly spin up a blog may just use WordPress for the blog subdomain, for example, just due to time, and then they code up everything else. Some people literally don't use plugins, and they code around what WordPress has already using some WordPress functions, but otherwise they might just use the blog functionality. So other people are, I mean, (laughs) sadly, like load their site up with plugins, and I mean, it works-ish. And so WordPress really is, like you were saying, Mike, it's really extendable. It's really different and it, it, fit, it fits a lot of needs. Some people are using it as a headless CMS. You know, it's, it's to that point. So it absolutely is something that has kept it alive, in my opinion. And you're right. Like, we'll see how it goes in 2023 because I don't use WordPress like every day or anything. But I hear there's like almost like a war or some sort of disagreement between Gutenberg, FSE, which is full site editing, and then obviously there's third-party tools like Elementor. And so it's like WordPress is kind of fractured. And I assume, having not looked into this, like Gutenberg and FSE is built into WordPress. And I thought Gutenberg was full-site editing. And then there's another thing called full-site editing. Again, I might be talking, like saying this all wrong, but I have been hearing on Twitter that there is like a fracture in the WordPress market, I guess. So we'll see how that goes, I suppose. Uh, last question here. Should developers use no-code tools? And my honest answer is like, I've, I think so. You know, I've recently seen a rise in developers using no-code tools as a way to stop reinventing the wheel. I mentioned this earlier. And they don't need to keep making the same web components like a slider and a light box over and over and over again. Coders or developers can use Webflow to make the core website features and then extend it with custom code or use integrations like member stack or use upcoming features like Webflow memberships and then maybe even extend that in a way if that's possible and down the down the road or something. You know, there's like a lot of different ways to put things together. And again, like if you don't like no code tools, then you don't necessarily need to use them or you don't need to use them. Um, but I, I mean, again, we're running an agency here. Um, and we're running like a website as well. It's like, I'm not our website. The HTML, all the things website is on Webflow because I want something that's quick, easy. It's easy for me to edit. It was easy for me to edit, like edit the actual, um, like website. It was easy for me to set it up, easy for me to publish. Uh, you know, there's limitations here and there, and there's certainly challenges, but the CMS is there. Like it's, it's, it's like, I'm using my website as a tool, and so I used no code to make sure that tool was like there, solid, bam, quick. I didn't need to spend months on it. I didn't want to mess around with new tech all the time. I didn't want to mess around with updates. It's just a no nonsense. And so I'm using no code when I think it's appropriate in, in, in times like this or when, or when clients ask for it. And I, I found an example as well, um, of a developer using, you know, using, uh, Webflow. So I found a, a person on Twitter named Josh Hartman. And on his website, there was a website link. So I presume it's one of his websites um, called uh, JS for Webflow. So JavaScript for Webflow. So it's JS for Webflow or excuse me, JS for WF.com is the website. And I'll put that in the show note um, as well. And it's 
there's like a waiting list and stuff there, but it's basically like the general sentiment is like, hey, you know, exp- learn to use Webflow for your clients, but then learn to use Java, like write in JavaScript and learn JavaScript as a designer, because that's a Webflow, again, is tailored toward as designers, learn some JavaScript. And then when a client asks you for a little bit of a custom feature, you can do it. Ask for a little bit of extendability, you can do it. You can maybe integrate stuff that isn't necessarily one-to-one compatible with Webflow. You can maybe use a little bit of JS stuff and get that integration to work. And so it's interesting. Like, like, like the market's definitely changing. It's shifting. It's always evolving. And, and I think this is the way it's like, no code's becoming a, a tool to use not just like, hey, like I'm on this platform and that's where, you know, that's the hill I'm going to die on. Or at least that, that's my opinion. So as, as a conclusion to this episode, you know, and, and, you know, at risk of saying the title basically in the, in the episode, what does no code mean for developers in 2022, right? As an overall blanket, after all we've covered, after all we've discussed, you know, I personally see no code tools as just a tool to make websites. I want to reiterate that again. I try not to subscribe to one tool being better than the other per preference sake. Although I do do it. I have my own biases. I'm human and I freak out about stuff a lot. But like, I try to just say like, you know, hey, you know, Webflow is good for this. WordPress is good for this. Vanilla is good for this. React is good for this, et cetera, et cetera. No code tools can really boost your productivity, allowing you to spin up websites very quickly, which is very crucial if you're very, if you are a very busy freelancer. Okay or you need to get paid quick or whatever allows you to spin up sites quickly there. And, and I will say this too, and I've said this before is developers use plugins or libraries or frameworks to make their coding easier. And I almost think like no code is becoming almost like one of them. Sure. You're coding in the framework, you're using the library. And so you're coding alongside, let's say the library or you're, uh, you know, you're interfacing with code in a custom way to a WordPress plugin, let's say. But I would say that, you know, designers, they do the same thing. They don't have plugins and libraries and frameworks. They have asset libraries. They have the Figma community, which has a bunch of assets and stuff like that. They have stock photos and they have, they have a bunch of stuff like that. So. No code really should just be added as a tool that kind of almost bridges this gap where designers can use it, developers can use it, consumers, just like people that know the computer basics can use it. That's kind of where I'm, I, I sit with it. And for people that say, hey, you know, coding is the pure way to do it, blah, blah, blah. It's like maybe you have a reason for that and that's fine. But at the same time, it's like, you know, no code is not going to go anywhere. There's a reason why it exists. And if you as a coder developer, if you use a like plugin or anything to make your life easier, why wouldn't you just go a little more easier, a little easier, right? And just use like a no code tool that you could get the thing done in like 10 minutes if you could, as long as it's appropriate for the project. Like why, why be like, oh, I'm, I'm willing to use a, a library here, but I'm not willing to use a no code tool. I'm not willing to use a service here. You know, if the budget works, if it's compatible with the project, there's no security concerns, blah, 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 blah. And it like it could be in the project. Why reinvent the wheel again? Why? Why? Why be half productive? <laughs> like, why have a half productivity boost? Why not have a 100 percent productivity boost? And I want to mention this, too. And this is sort of topical to right now. The economy is possibly taking a turn for the worse. I am not an investment guru or anything, whatever. But if the economy goes for goes like down the tubes. Getting every dollar the most efficient way is arguably more important than ever. 
And I've seen people on Twitter arguing over whether you're coding in one language or I'm using PHP and all this fighting. And I've seen other people say that the people that are fighting, this is the sentiment I've seen on Twitter, is that the people that are fighting about this, this language, that, that framework, this and that, they're making the least amount of money. And that makes sense. They're sitting there screaming, yelling, but the other guys are just silent. Maybe they're, you know, tweet note stuff, whatever, but they're like generally silent in the argument. And they're just using PHP and making their millions and making their 100,000, making their 20,000, whatever, whatever it is, right? There comes a point when you can fight for whatever tech you want day in and day out. But if you are able to make a site three times faster using a tech you don't prefer, it's going to be better for the bottom line, just in terms of time versus money. And if there is a recession, a depression or whatever economic troubles, let's say, coming or even in the future, because it'll. It'll come back. There's always economic troubles off and on. Um, wouldn't you prefer to get paid quicker, get stuff done faster, and ensure that you're able to take on more projects as you don't know where the next project is going to come from? Like, instead of you having to turn down one of two projects because you're going to custom code them both, what if you could cut your, your, your development time down in half and use a no-code tool to make them both? It's just, it's just some food for thought. You know, instead of fighting over PHP's better and whatever. And again, I will argue over stuff like this phone's better. That phone's better. Windows is better, of course. But like when it comes down to it, if I literally only had a Mac, cause I do not like, like, I don't like the Mac OS. That's just a personal preference. And like, if I only had a Mac in front of me and I had to get a project done today to be paid, I'm just going to use the Mac to do it. And this is especially true again, arguably, especially true or even like maybe even the most important part of the business, arguably, most important part of the part of the business is to keep the cash flow going during an economic downturn. So that's my that's my piece. That's a bit of a state of the industry when it comes to no code. Uh, episode 200. Again, we will have a tidbit episode later on this week or early next week, depending on when you're listening to this um, or depending on when oh, I guess it's still going to happen. In that time frame, it's yeah, not going to change no based what. on when you listen to it. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about, but based upon this thing's uh, release date, uh, we'll have a tidbit soon to sort of celebrate episode 200. But before I run the old conclusion, Mike, did you have any sort of uh, conclusion or footnote to this episode? I think you did a really good job summing it up. Uh, I'll just kind of reiterate, use the best tool for the job. And if a no-code tool is that tool, use that no-code tool for the job. That's it. That's all yeah. you really need to know. Don't don't use don't let your biases um stop you from using the best tool because you love react or something like that it's not it's not going to get you very far in the industry yes i 100% agree and um yeah i mean if you if you like the episodes like this and you want to support the show you can go check us out on that patreon that is patreon.com/html all the things and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons once i pull up the doc i'm still not used to this we have a new procedure where we have like a separate document and I I'm the one that made the damn procedure <laughs> Mike had nothing to do with it and I always forget to actually do my own procedure but anyway <clears throat> many thanks to our three door tier patrons Ryan Gashel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com Chris from Self Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com DL Ford from dlford.io Bib Hashash from Nineblock Media on nineblockmedia.com Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se and Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. 
You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.